Hi, my name is Katie Malone. And I'm Brendan, the husband. And you're listening to The Little Flock, the podcast that offers practical insights about living a counterculture of goodness, truth and beauty in a world of increasingly hostile secularism and indifference. So, if you're looking to learn from two imperfect followers of Christ about how to live like the wheat amongst the darnel, this is definitely the podcast for you. Hi everybody, welcome back to The Little Flock podcast. Great to be back again. It is, isn't it, Katie? It's been a long break between drinks. Uh, let us explain. <laughs> Please, sir, I forgot to do my homework and here's my excuse. So basically what happened was last year, uh, Katie took a temporary contract, uh, a little bit of part-time work, um, just to help with the family income and all that kind of thing, that, mm. that, those important things. And family has to come first. And so with that, on top of everything else, we just didn't have time. To, to record episodes, so uh, we made the difficult decision to hit pause and then come back this year. So we are back. Brighter than ever? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what month is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're ready for something. Yeah. Um, before we jump into the topics of conversation and your questions, we've got lots to actually talk about today, lots of interesting stuff. Uh, please, uh, share and subscribe if you are not already a subscriber to the pod- podcast. And if your uh, podcast platform, whatever you're listening on right now, whatever platform you are listening on, if it allows you to give us a rating, some stars, a comment, if you could do that, that would be really, really helpful. All that kind of stuff helps the show. Now, if you want to support the work that we're doing, you can do that as well. And there's two ways to do that. One is at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia and you can become a regular monthly patron to help support these episodes and all of the other content that we produce. Or if you go directly to our lifenet.org.nz website, which by the way has had a massive makeover. Finally, we've finished the makeover. I had to make some time for that. We've finished it. So the LifeNet website now is looking really good if I do say so myself. And Katie didn't have to do too much proofreading or anything, so that's good. I didn't make too many mistakes. Uh, But on that website, you will find our donate option, and it gives you the details for uh, the bank account. And if you're in New Zealand, that means that uh, if you use your name anyway, we can track your donations and you can get a tax receipt at the end of the year. So those are the two ways to support us. And last but not least, before we jump into the conversation, Katie, which I know you are Rearing, yeah, <laughs> itching to get out of the gates with is um, we obviously want to answer and respond to your questions and talk about topics that you want to talk about. Uh, you can do that uh, or send us your questions, and the easiest way to do that is by going to um, either lifenet.org.nz, that's probably the quickest way, actually. And you will see on the home page now there's a scrolling. Um, little banner across the top that says ask your questions or send your questions, something like that, to to the Little Flock podcast. And there's a brand new form. We were previously using a Google form. We've now got a form, a direct contact form on that website. And so that's the quickest and easiest way to do that. So lifenet.org.nz, fill in the form. You can do it anonymously. You don't have to add your name if you don't want to, if it's something a bit more sensitive. There's no silly questions. No, yeah, there, there are no wrong Only questions. Only silly answers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You might get some of those. <laughs> <laughs> so um, please, and I know already one of the questions we're going to talk about today actually came to us courtesy of that brand new form. So thank you to that person. First to use it before it even announced it. So someone was looking. Oh, onto it. Keeping an eye on things. All right, so uh, let's just jump straight into it, shall we? Yep. No uh, better way to start than to actually start at the beginning. 
And the only way out of this podcast is by getting through it. So let's just <laughs> let's just jump straight in. We've got a couple of articles we want to discuss before we uh, respond to your questions. And of course, as you know, if you're new here, you won't know this, but uh, each month we do a little moment of goodness, truth, or beauty, and uh, a little scripture reflection as well. That you know something that uh, for each of us has has meant something this past month. So first article, Seth Rogen. Do you know who Seth Rogen is, Katie? I do. <laughs> Unfortunately, I do. I mean, know. we're not BFFs or anything, as the kids would say, as the youths would say. He's not. He's he's. Is he cool? Is he? Uh, he's a bit weird at know, times. I, eh? I mean, he's probably a lovely. Well, we keep a fifteen-year-old around for. Yeah, that's right. Cool yeah, yeah, yeah. He's probably a lovely. Ch- he definitely is. I think he's had his heyday. Uh, yeah. Like he was big. What ten years ago? There was you know a, a movies like what was it? Twenty tens. Um, yeah, the twenty tens. Uh, <clears throat> super bad. Knocked up. Those, um, uh, what's his name? I can't remember the filmmaker now who who used to make all those movies, but Seth Rogen was always like his go-to. Funny guy. Yeah, funny guy. Um, But he was also a bit of a stoner, it's fair to say. And and it seems that that character he played may be, uh, I don't know, um, closer to home for him in some ways based on this article. This guy, those who don't know Seth Rogen's work, I assume some of you or many of you maybe will, but those who don't, uh, you know, it was the sort of, um, basically he was the man boy. In the films. Yeah, yeah, he's the grown-up man who's still acting like an adolescent drug smoker, irresponsible dude. And usually the, the plots, well, usually, when they weren't stoner movies, they revolved around him being unable to maintain adult relationships, right, because he was yeah. still acting like an adolescent boy with no virtue. So um, this article has been published. He did an interview recently on a podcast, and Seth Rogen, let me read to you from the article, claims his life is happier, not just happier, because that's the, that's the measure these days. Are you happy? And better, apparently, overall. So that's a big, bold claim. I'm not just happier. I'm better than you <laughs> overall, because he and his wife, Lauren Miller, decided not to have any children. So uh, not an untypical sentiment, sadly. Uh, we hear it no. a lot more commonly today, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, let me uh, give you some of the comments he said, and then we'll have a conversation about it. He said, there's a whole huge thing I'm not doing, which is raising children, the actor said. When host Stephen Bartlett asked Rogan if his life would have been happy with kids, the freaks and geeks alum, that's how the cool kids say alumni, isn't it? Alum. Mm-hmm. Uh, said that it would not. I don't think it would, Rogan replied. I've been around, obviously, a lot of children. I'm not ignorant to what it's like. <laughs> that's a funny reply. I've seen those small humans, so I know all about parenting. Now, that's not how that works. I used to think that way. It's not how it works. Everyone I know has kids. I'm 40, you know. I know. <laughs> this is me quoting him. Um, some of my friends have had kids for decades. Some people want kids. Some people don't want kids. I mean, a lot of people have kids before they even think about it. From what I've seen, honestly, you were just told you go through life, you get married, you have kids. It's what happens. Me and my wife, neither of us were like that, he said. Honestly, the older we get, the more happy and reaffirmed we are with our choice to not have kids. That sounds like someone's trying to reassure themselves, doesn't mm, it? A little bit of justification. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we, well, why do you keep revisiting it? He's so happy. Like my wife and I, we, we don't keep going back and going, oh, should we have had kids? No. You know, you just, yeah. there's no questioning. So the fact that he's, you know, we, we reaffirm mm. suggests that maybe they do, it plays on their mind a bit. Uh, and so reaffirm we are with our choice to not have kids. It was something we kind of talked about more and we were like, have we made the right choice? 
Are we sure? Those sound like reaffirmed questions, mm-hmm. people, don't they? Now, more than anything, the conversation is like, honestly, thank God we don't have children. We get to do whatever we want. Mm. Well, that mm. sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, they finally, last little bit, they say this. Uh, Rogan went on, we are in the prime of our lives. We are smarter than we've ever been. <laughs> man, this guy's These just people have peaked, babe. <laughs> I know, this is, this is it, man. Mate, newsflash, guys, not having children makes you smarter. Yeah, yeah. Seth Rogen. Yeah, so Genius. what? You're happier, better than us and smarter than us. <laughs> this is just brilliant. Um, we under, understand ourselves more than we ever have. Wow, that's just, that's debatable, I think, isn't mm. it? Isn't it? We have the capacity to achieve a level of work and a level of communication and care for one another and a lifestyle we can live with one another that we've never been able to live before and we can just do that and we don't have to raise a child, which the world the world does not need right now. Well, I don't know if the world's missing Seth Rogen Jr., to be honest. Well, I don't know. I, I disagree. I think every I think Seth Rogen's missing <laughs> Seth Ro- Rogen Jr. Because... Um, Imagine our lives without the profound school of love that is parenthood. Mm, true. You know, I think, I don't know about you, but I would not be the person that I am today. No, that's I'd right. be a lot worse. Yeah, yeah. I would still be. You wouldn't be. be smarter, though. <laughs> like be this, in the prime of your life. This is so funny, isn't it? Because there's a lot tied up in this. But basically, I mean, the honest moment where, you know, you said the quiet part out loud was when he said, uh, we get to do whatever we want. Yeah. It's right. probably it, right? And I, and I don't want to be judgmental. Having kids but is too hard yeah. to live the lifestyle I want to live. <laughs> I don't want to be judgmental, but I am going yeah. to be judgmental. So strap in. Um, it, it's a funny thing in our culture, eh, because it's um, it, it's you can see what's happening. You can see this sort of um, loss of family tradition, the breakdown of family, and how this is a very – and it's gone from people sort of just saying – Quietly not having kids to now, like this is here's a guy who's actually celebrating it, mm. and he's and, advertising, he's marketing for it. Yeah, yeah, and it's almost there's a moral superiority. There's a, like an air of moral superiority too. Yeah, yeah, I've made a better decision. Yeah, I'm I'm betterer than you. Yeah. Well, you're smarter. <laughs> but, I would also argue that having children helps you to understand yourselves better. I mean, how can he yeah. say he understands himself more than he ever has? Maybe he does, but having children gives you a more reflective. Yeah. You know, you're more likely to reflect on your own character and how you behave and yeah. treat other people and how you model for your children. Yeah. And, um, you know, they give us that mirror that you don't otherwise get. Your spouse can't be your mirror for you. No. That's so true. And that's mm. funny enough. That's something that really stuck out to me. Mm. It's like, well, how do you know? Mm. I mean, lo- maybe I would, he probably does understand himself. Surely by the time you're 40, hopefully you've done some self-reflection and maybe you do understand yourself better. But having children gives you another level of... I don't know though. Okay. Like I think about you? I think about me as forty and now versus forty seven. I think the massive level even between forty and forty five. I've leveled up. I've leveled up. <laughs> I'm Supreme Commander Brendan. Um, I yeah. You 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 and you know what the cause of it was? It's family. It's mm. children. The demands they make of you, and as they get older, as they and, get older. Yeah. 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 And and it's like all of that's missing. So. Mm. I mean, it's a funny thing when you think you've got it all figured out at 40 anyway. But, um, I mean, to be fair, he doesn't really seem to be saying he's got it figured out. But he's sort of acting like a guy who's like, no, I've, I've you know. Mm. The funny thing is, too, though, is like um, he, uh, like, how, do, how how is it he able to say this with such confidence um, that, you know, like, my life is happier? Yeah. You, 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 you don't, don't know, know the opposite. That, yeah. yeah. You don't know the answer. It's like when you're 20 and you're like, my children will never 
dot, yeah, dot, dot. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. If you haven't parented, you don't know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you so you can't actually know. Like he's making a claim that he cannot possibly make. Mm. My life is happier and it's better because I don't have children. Mm. Well, you've never had children, so you don't know whether that's true. I would argue on the flip side, those of us who've got kids and who haven't had kids previously, I think we can answer that question. Yeah. Can I, yeah, I really, live, I mean, live to, both, a, to a certain realities. degree. Yeah. Because you, you could say, well, what if maybe you were 40? I mean, I don't know what it's like to be 40 without kids mm. because I was 40 when I had kids. I mean, I, I had kids through my 40s, for example. But I think in another way I can say, well, I know what life is like without them mm. and I know what life is like with them. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's such a, this is the thing of our age, eh? Because you, you, there's this confident, bold assertion, but it's not grounded in anything beyond his own personal belief. Mm. It's purely him believing this is better and, and he is happier. But he doesn't know it. I think there's also an argument for, um, you know, we know people that can't have children mm. and would love to have children, you know, and that's, that's a sadness and a grief in their lives. I think, um, it's just that unwillingness to give yourself to something else yeah, or to someone else. Yeah. So the people I know that haven't been able to have children or have this family size they've wanted go outside of themselves and find their fulfillment giving yeah. um, and serving. And I think that's really important that, I mean, who knows, hopefully Seth Rogen's doing some charity work, Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, but it's, that's what helps you to grow. That's what helps you to understand yourself and, and be yeah. a better person and be smarter and yeah. more empathetic is because you choose to give in whatever way, yeah, you know, and if you and if you're someone who's unable to have a family, yeah, that you should be finding an outlet for that and finding a yeah, good finding point. a way to be a better human. Essentially, it's it's a funny. We'll, we'll come back to that in a second. Mm. Um, because one of the things he talks about here is all the things they've been able to achieve. Mm. But I, I didn't I, list any of them really. Well, it's funny, <laughs> isn't it? Like, well, I, I think about, well, what what is that? The implication is that somehow children are an inferior thing to have a legacy that's inferior to making a movie mm. or having smashed avocado on Sunday morning and getting out of bed, rolling out of bed at 11 a.m. because no one's asking you for breakfast at nine, you know? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mummy, 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 daddy, daddy, get my thing. You know, like but the implication is that somehow his, what he's doing is is a better achievement. It's It's... But mm. but I know this is the funny thing. We we actually you know, and you probably know who I'm talking about here. But we've got um, friends of ours, a couple. They had their children married young by today's standards, but not really young, young. But they married young by today's standards. Uh, had their children, and then um, their children were all at um, the youngest was at um, uh, you know was at school. Mm. Um, and they were well, in their 30s sort of thing, and they were really in the prime of life. They're, like they didn't lose anything. They were still able to do that stuff. Mm. And and I look at our lives and the creativity and the output of our beyond just our family. Mm. And I, I think my creative output has actually um, has improved massively. And I it's think having you've a family, leveled up, I've leveled up. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. I need like a <laughs> video game. Uh, you do. You need a little. We need a little sound effects. Well, I've got one here, but I don't know if it's appropriate. Come on, man. So that's Joe Biden saying, "Come on, man." But um, yeah, but that's maybe that's what Joe Biden would say to Seth Rogen. Come on, man. Um, so um, I think also like maybe he's not sad about not having children now, but when he sees his friends with their grandchildren, that yeah. might be where the sadness yeah. comes. You know that oh, actually, it's not just children of my own that I've missed out on. It's actually. You know, I'm already looking forward to having grandkids. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, hook me up with my, my Yeah, that's right. You 
Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, too, as you get older, there's a, not that we have children so that um, we'll get something out of it, mm. but as you get older, I think, you, I think it would be a terrible tragedy to die alone. The That's world right. of liberal enlightenment uh, yeah, enlightenment. Sorry, the liberal. Enlighten, yeah, enlightenment liberalism. It seems fun when you're young and just you know Can doing do yeah self gratifying. <laughs> but then as you get older and you start to reprioritize and really realize as you get wiser because you do what is truly important in life. And then when you realize, well, all these other people are out partying and they don't want me around because I'm an old fuddy daddy and I've got no one around me, no family, no mm. community. It, you know. The, the, I imagine for a lot of people at that moment, the true reality of that decision. I, I I don't know if too many of them would be going. Yeah, we made the right decision. It was definitely as they're sitting alone, maybe in a rest home, in their seventies or eighties, with mm. absolutely no one around them and no sense of my life, my you know, my legacy will live on. Mm. Like it's, it's it's not enough to. Say, by the way, there's a dog barking outside for those who are wondering what that noise is. Um, yeah, the outside. the dog, the neighbor's dog, man. Um, you know, it's not enough to say, well, yeah, okay, well, I made a, a whole lot of stoner comedies. Yeah. Or even if he goes on to make the greatest film that the world has ever seen, mm. that that as great a, a, a legacy as that would be, it's still not as great as the legacy of someone else I will live on in a very profound way mm. through my own children and grandchildren. That's a profound sort of gap in his life. Is the orthodox say memory eternal? Yeah. Who's going to be here to have that for him? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it's exactly right. One of the last things he says here, and we'll, we'll, this will lead us into the next article, is he says uh, um, about not having to raise a child, and he said, which the world does not need right now. Yeah. That's a very nihilistic mm. closing statement. The world doesn't need The world doesn't kid. need people. <laughs> yeah. The seals and the snails and the icebergs will live on happily right. without us. Yeah, of course they will. Um, which actually leads really well into the next article, which is these two articles we decided to look at because they, actually as we're going, getting ready for today, Katie said, why haven't we got anything positive to talk about? That's right. the positive article. So watch we have, the space, people. And yeah, watch the space. <laughs> and we've also got a TikTok article coming up. We want to talk to you about TikTok. Uh, next month we'll do that. Um, and uh, that, that's something that I think to consider. But right now, the second article, which is very, very closely related to uh, Seth Rogen saying, well, I'm happier and I'm better without kids. Uh, this was an article that appeared in the New Zealand Herald. Uh, five big ethical questions to ask yourself before having a baby. Did you even ask one? I think it's one ethical question. It's the <laughs> usual one. Yeah. Don't yeah. you love the environment, though? Isn't uh, that what the question boils down to? Yeah, the question is, are you a filthy, polluting, yeah, yeah, yeah. carbon-emitting, deviant, dirty human being? You disgust me. You should hate yourself. Don't you dare reproduce. Pretty much. <laughs> now, what's your answer to that question? Um, but uh, you're right. That is really what it boils down to. But here's the funny thing to us think about this. I was thinking, well, what what an absurdity. Like, we didn't ask ourselves, like, and nor should you, I don't think. Well, the question is, am I married? Probably that's a good question from a Christian perspective. <laughs> uh, there's like, there's obvious little questions you might think about, like, okay, what's our, our current health situation? Or like, is, it, is there a serious health complication in our life mm. right now? Uh, um, are there serious financial burdens? You know, those kinds of questions sort of float around. But if you have to go through a tick box exercise mm. about whether or not you should have a child, I think you've lost sight of the beauty and the joy and the wonder of what it is to, A, make a baby. That's really 
quite <laughs> wonderful and joyful. Uh, and and also the whole wonder of, of, of you know, the, it's like, yeah. okay, get get the clipboard, dear. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we, we can't will, do it this month. Because before we consummate, we will. Are yeah, yes, that's right. Parts per whatever. <laughs> we will, yeah. Before we consummate, we must check our carbon emissions. You know, it's like, ugh, what is wrong with this mental sort of technocratic. Mm. Um, imposition on on the joy of mums and dads and having babies. He does. I found the irony was he does talk about overpopulation. Yeah. And there's a bit where it says, um, for everybody in the world to live in comfort, the ideal pop- population <laughs> of the world is three billion. Yeah. And so there's five billion people too many. And then he goes on to say, if the climate crisis continues, millions of people will die. And I was like, well, isn't that going to solve your problem? <laughs> <laughs> Which like not having babies isn't the solution. Just let the climate crisis take well, care of it. <laughs> as a friend of mine uh, always used to say, when people would start talking like this, you know, there's too many people. Uh, we, we've got too many people. We can't have. You know, we've got to do something about it. It's like, well, okay, you first. Yeah, what are you doing about <laughs> it? Why don't you precisely? jump off that cliff yeah. over and, there? And who are we saving you know? the planet for if we're not going to have babies? You know, well, like, we're, we're saving it for uh, what three billion um, elite urban elite, elite okay. uh, smashed avocado toast eating mm. latte sipping liberals. You know what I mean? Like it's it's what exactly is this that, that yeah. what what is this vision like i said it's a it's a vision that's it's uh anti-human i would mm. argue um in lots of ways Here, let, let's read from the article and then look at the questions that are put to us that apparently we failed to ask so we are clearly immoral parents mm-hmm. um i am a phd candidate at manash bioethics center and as soon as i saw manash i was like oh not Manash again. Mm-hmm. They've had some crazy stuff come out of there. You might remember a few years back, there were a couple of academics uh, attached to Manash University who were proposing that infanticide could be a good idea. So it's like, oh, here we go. I researched the ethics of procreation in a time of climate change. <laughs> so not the ethics of procreation, but the ethics of procreation in a time of climate Very change. Like somehow yeah. procreation has become something else just because people are freaking out about the climate. I found there's no simple yes or no answer to whether we should produce more children when the earth is in such dire straits. Okay, well then this whole article is pointless. Mm. That would seem to suggest that, right? But but I'm about to give you some yes, yes no yeah. answers. Yeah. Um, people who want to have children are faced with a dilemma. Well, we weren't. Did we? <laughs> did we? Yeah, I don't... It was, yes, this, we didn't have this article to draw from, darling. No, that's right. We didn't know. We were ignorant. <laughs> and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, gods and high priests of climate. I'm just so sorry. Uh, creating a child who will be responsible for high emissions over their lifetime requires others to stay in poverty if the planet is to operate within its physical limits. This, it can easily be argued, furthers injustice and inequality. He's wrong, by the way, on these points. We'll talk about that in just a second. Many people argue that the world has an overpopulation problem. Overpopulation has been defined as the state where there are more people than can live on Earth in comfort, happiness and health and still leave the world a fit place for future generations. Well, I would even dispute that claim because is that really overpopulation? Mm -hmm. Like what is your measure of comfort, happiness and health? That's right. Because that, that is a very arbitrary and constantly shifting, thanks to technology, mm. set of goalposts. And what is comfort and happiness? It's also very Western. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's people living in Africa and Asia in extreme poverty and discomfort. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if we can argue they're not healthy, not happy, rather. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you ask... And it, we look, should be doing our best to care for those people. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, so we want to be yeah. responsible stewards. Yeah. We don't want to be irresponsible or immoral in our behaviours that mm. would cause harm to others. Um, but here's the thing. If you ask, that's a great example of an mm. African family, what does it mean to you to be happy? Yeah, that's right. 
And I guarantee you they're not going to say, well, uh, I can go out for smashed avocado (laughs) toast and I've got a five-bedroom house and I've got an iPhone and my kids are going to the best school. Mm. I guarantee you they'll be saying, I've got a family, I've got a community, there's peace. And and and, and yeah. yeah, and for for eons, for 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 what for almost all of our human history until really the last hundred years or so, even probably less than that, we have defined um, human flourishing in a much more, I think, authentic and wholesome and true way than what we do now. Mm. It's very superficial now. Uh, he then at least he admits it when he says this, but this definition is open to interpretation. Overpopulation is not just a, because he actually wants to get worse and make an even worse <laughs> definition of overpopulation. Overpopulation is not just about numbers, but also values. <laughs> if people in affluent countries value their lifestyles and the opportunity for others to have the same lifestyle, then the world is overpopulated. Well, do you want others to have the same lifestyle? I actually don't know if I do. I want them to have stability and peace and Mm. these beautiful things we enjoy here that are fundamentals. Mm. But to be honest with you, I wouldn't want to inflict Western lifestyles upon people in Africa who have strong family and local community Mm. culture because that would be a disaster for them because I don't want them to have what we have with broken families as Mm. a common norm, with families who don't live in community, with communities that are not functioning at all. So there's authentic communities missing. Mm. Yeah, I don't want to inflict that on them. Uh, he goes on to say this. Indeed, estimates by ecologists and philosophers. <laughs> oh, okay. The philosopher's stone show a person born in the developed world can enjoy their lifestyle only if there are no more than two or three billion people on the planet. There are now more than eight billion. Well, I know, um, uh, for example, economists, economists, I was going to say economists, economists <laughs> who, who completely disagree with you and who would say, well, in actual fact, you need. Uh, according to the current economic model we're living, you need people actually uh, working and earning and spending right. and doing things like that. So, so New Zealand, for example, um, some years ago, there was a clear acknowledgement that we were missing about five hundred thousand people from our economy. It's probably even mm. more than that now. And by the way, that was that statement was being made around the same time that our total number of abortions since the late nineteen seventies had hit five hundred. Mm thousand missing human beings Mm. right um but he's also wrong um there's some interesting books that have been written lately by academics who have looked at and or the data and who are now saying look no 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 that the world's not actually facing an overpopulation crisis we're about to have a massive depopulation Mm. crisis because we haven't had enough children it's happening all over the planet and so what the, that means is going forward, one of the, these academics was quite interesting in the book that he wrote. He talked about the fact that people who are really worried about climate change, like this guy, mm. the problem will actually resolve, well, the problem of emissions will resolve itself because there just won't be enough people to emit high levels mm. of carbon, if that's your concern. And in fact, these people are warning um, that we're in trouble because we don't have enough kids. And going forward, that's going to be a real problem and economies uh, will implode mm. because they won't have enough young taxpayers to support right, retiring yeah. populations. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe he needs to do uh, He says here, if global reading. fertility rates drop by only 0.5 births per woman, you could say, go on, he goes on to say, you could save all this carbon. <clears throat> but the reality is in a lot of countries, if, if they drop by 0.5 births per woman, they wouldn't be having... No. 
hardly any babies. No, no. Well, we, under uh, one in a lot of places. Already, yeah, isn't it? in New Zealand now, that would mean we would be having less than one child. Mm. Our, our fertility rate would drop beneath one if that became the norm. Yeah. And that, that would be disaster. So we're not even already in New Zealand, we're not even replicating ourselves. Yeah. And that's not if you like you don't have to be a rocket scientist <laughs> to know that you haven't got a future mm. if you're not replacing yourself. Yeah. So yeah, if you dropped it even further, um yeah, th- this is this is where I think you have this bizarre again, this this vision of reality that's just sort of grounded in the here and now and nothing more mm. that I think is overly worrisome about things. Um yeah. And uh, and also, really, let's be honest, these ideas are grounded in his notion that we should all be living like probably, I mean, he talks about being an urban elite sort of person. He's quite open about that, that living that lifestyle. Mm. But maybe if we were living a different, more simple kind of lifestyle right. and we were, yeah. you know, we we just looked to a more communal, simple style of living, then maybe we, this wouldn't even be an issue. Yeah. Um. He says here, I should acknowledge here that I don't have the lived experience of being a woman or a person. Who can, who can carry, carry a child? A child. Um, okay, but so what are these persons who can carry children who are not women? If only oh. there was a name for that. Yeah, it's only, if only there was a name for that. So woman or <laughs> other bizarre alien creatures who live among us who can have babies. Come on, man. This is just ideology, mate. There's only one way you can have a woman, uh, have a woman, have a baby, <laughs> and that is uh, by being a woman. That's and right. please don't denigrate my wife by suggesting otherwise. You just, <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, he then goes on to say this. Anyone who with the means to control their fertility – now has an obligation to ask themselves the following five questions. That's a pretty bold statement, mm, Patty. An obligation. You have yeah. an that, like this is a moral obligation. It's funny, isn't it? In an age where we're like, he doesn't say moral because that would probably. Oh yeah, that yeah. But well, he, the, everything else in the article because this is all about ethics. He's mm, saying true. really does imply quite strongly this is a moral obligation. In an age where it's like just you do you. You do what feels good, but uh, you do have a moral obligation when it comes to having babies in the climate. It's like that one thing you can't do is have children. Mm. You know, or you should really think hard about it. You, you, you can be, uh, you can be a polyamorous, uh, multi-partnered, open marriage couple, but oh no, 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 you better not have children. You've got an obligation to think about that. It's like okay, uh, here are the questions that he that he poses: Will my child have a high emissions lifestyle? <laughs> And will this mean others must live in poverty? If so, is this justifiable? Uh, well, we can tell you from experience, the first few years of your child's life will be high emission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so you're going to be changing a lot of nappies, pal. <laughs> um, what I, are, I use cloth nappies for twins, so I've we were done really, a bit for the environment. We are. I, and I didn't realise this until recently. Someone said well, to me. Hippies. Yeah, I said, they said, your wife really is a hippie. And I was like, no, I'm not going to tell you who said no, that. But no, they're like, no. your, your wife. And I was like, no, no, she's not. She's from the North Shore of Auckland. You know? <laughs> and, they're like, and, and they're like, no, trust me. Because she's been telling my wife all the stuff about cloth nappies and natural this and natural that. I was like, oh, yeah, I suppose she is. <laughs> Want to be happy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, will my child have high emissions? <laughs> What's a high emissions lifestyle? Well, living in inner city Melbourne, isn't it? Going on the... But is that like I don't know. what? What a like like that would mean just about anyone. But basically, everyone should stop having. Well, if they live on a farm, and you've well, got lots different. of cows, it, no, lots I think of cows. Are high saying emission. that the people who have high emissions lifestyle should try and lower their emissions so that the people in poverty can can have a high emissions lifestyle, which they need to get out of poverty. But here's the, but here's the, I don't. So we should have less children in the city. So that all the people in Africa no, no, but can have can be allowed more emissions. But here's but here's the here's the thing though when you think about that 
as a proposal, this is why I was trying to get my head around it and sort of figure yeah. out what he's meaning. Is um, so you you've got no children, and you live Maybe in the inner city instead of two children, but you've one and a half children. But again, let, let's imagine this: you got you got one, you got no no children. You live in the inner city and you drive places. You now have one child, and then you, or maybe you have two children. You still get in that same car and drive to places. Like, how how has the child increased in emissions? Hmm. How it hasn't increased emissions in any meaningful way, I would argue. Um, yeah, like honestly, and this to me feels like this bizarre economic um, scheme of oh, how well how many. Light bulbs will you need on in your house if you have an extra child? How much heating? You know, like it's this weird sort <laughs> you need of a spreadsheet for that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't. That shouldn't exist. Have you for done children. your emissions spreadsheet? <laughs> yeah, before I haven't you've done had another baby? Maybe I'm feeling guilty. Yeah, I you found, didn't do your spreadsheet. I'm an unethical man. Mm. Uh, next question: Do I have biological parenting desires? That is the desire to parent someone who has my genes. <laughs> Or that's G E N E S, by the way. Or do I simply have parenting desires? What? That is the desire to raise someone in a loving environment according to my values, regardless of their genes. Hmm. Were they blue jeans or chinos? Do you have. I don't really understand why that's an ethical question. It's not. And it's a dumb question, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you're mother, your father to a child, an adopted child, yeah. are you still mother father? Does your fatherly instinct, your motherly instinct? There are some differences with your own biological. But all children, of these, but... uh, these last four questions are essentially one question. Yeah, yeah, all got to do with that same topic. Yeah, let's, so let's go on with those then. Yeah. Uh, next question: Even if I might discover yeah. a strong biological connection once I have a child, so the implications you don't have one now. Mm-hmm. Um, could I be fulfilled in my life if I raised someone who is not biologically connected to me? Well, by my forty-year-old yes. next-door neighbour became <laughs> became dad to him. <laughs> like, what? A, what? Is, I mean, is that a question about adoption? Is that, is that well, what they're trying what to get he's at? Leading to, yeah. Okay, next question then. So there's too many people in the world. So get some somebody else's people. <laughs> Borrow someone else's. Don't people. have your own one because then there won't be you won't be making more people. You'll just be looking after the ones this that are already a, here. This is hilarious. Yeah. This is some weird. Which is not ethical. Commune. Like, and I've got no problem with that. Absolutely, foster, mentor, adopt. Yep. If you can, adoption is basically sure. impossible in most countries now. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, we're not looking at anybody. <laughs> Or you in particular, abortion, but anyway, yeah. carry on. Um, well, yeah, it's also sort of frowned upon. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's Certainly right. Certainly in yeah. New Zealand, it's it's yeah. open, it's home for life or open yeah. kind of fostering. There's very few adoptions yeah. in the classic way that we would understand it because cultural yeah. sort of beliefs and stuff. But th- I'm, that's great. Do that. Absolutely foster if you can. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But sort of, he's, I think he's proposing it as a solution to... Making yeah. more people because more people equals bad for the environment. Yeah. And I've got yeah. no problem with looking after the environment. Absolutely wish we're doing that. Yeah, but my it. ethical question is, what will my child add to the world? Exactly. What will my future child give to the world? Maybe they'll solve the climate crisis <laughs> and you've decided not to have them. Yeah, Boo yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you've, you've done gone stuffed it's, up, Cletus. <laughs> it comes back to Seth again. I mean, with, sort of, with a slightly more moral angle, but it definitely comes back to that... Um, it's about me. It's about yeah, me and the yeah. planet I live in and, yes, yeah. wanting to hand on a planet that's in decent shape, absolutely. But we have to remember having a child, you're talking about more than one person in that equation. Yeah, because that's you the know? next question he asked, right? You've just said it there. If I have only parenting desires, can this be satisfied in other ways? Yeah. 
fostering, teaching, mentoring. Mm. Like mentoring is great. It's not, but that's not parenting. And I'm sorry. Yeah, that that that, that, teaching is great, but that's not parenting. Uh, And the last question is: Does satisfying my parenting desires in other ways particularly apply to me if I already have one biological child? So Nari seems to be saying it's a one-child policy. So, okay, okay, Katie, you've had your limit now. <laughs> Now's time to start doing other things. It's so weird, eh, because the contradiction, of course, is we live in the age of liberalism and you can do what you want to do, my body, my choice, but, oh, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. You got one child? Uh, stop that right there. Yeah. Like, we don't want any more of those. You. Um, yeah, you're right. This whole thing is really, it's actually incoherent when you think about it. There's one big question. Uh, and one other question about high emissions, which you can't even answer. Like, will my child have a high emissions lifestyle? Well, that's not a question related to whether or not you should have kids. Maybe, like, if you really freak out about climate issues, that's a question of do I need to actually become a better steward of the environment, not should that's I have right. kids, right? That's a different question. Yeah. Um, he says this as well. Often people who choose not to have children feel the need to explain the decision to others which maybe this article feels a lot like because he says he's got kids. The above approach would mean the reverse, requiring sorry that people who wish to ethically bring someone into the world must themselves address difficult questions. You filthy, filthy breeders. This is, I would argue, this is repackaged eugenic elitism from the early 1900s and late 1800s. Oh, you won't believe all the paupers having babies. Are you, uh, Christine, I have been down the main street and I have seen them. It's disgusting. They hang off them like leeches. The wrong people are having all the children. It's got that kind of vibe to it. Like, you know, they should have to justify why they're having kids. Us people not having kids and then expecting, by the way, the system to uh, look after us in our retirement. Mm, that's right. Who's, who, who is the system that does this? It's mm. all the kids of the people who had the babies. And if you didn't have any babies, I suppose you've just saved all your money and you've got lots of it for retirement. Which is great until your society collapses because you've got all these dependents. Uh, you know, no one can actually do that. Like there's not a yeah. – this thing is like – and you haven't solved the problem. Like you said, there's a problem here. You know, okay, Katie, why haven't you had kids? You know, that, but then I'll solve that problem by just flipping the script. That's not solving the problem. All you're doing is changing the power. The power game's different now. Well, I'll be the one in power who gets to ask the questions around here. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, like I said, it's just it feels so inhuman. Yeah, like you, the the joy of a child is part of it. Is that it's the fruit of the sexual life, the life giving, self giving sexual love of a marriage. Mm. It, it's not. It's not an exercise in utilitarian mathematics and. Uh, emission outputs and it's just none of those things. Life is hard. Mm. Life is tough. Kids kids are the most beautiful cross that you'll ever carry, but they are still a cross. So get over it and get on with it. And even by only having one, you can't guarantee that they'll live in comfort, yeah. health, happiness for their whole entire life. Yeah. Just like you can't guarantee that for anyone, you know? No. Yeah. By, by not having a child, you're not guaranteeing that someone overseas is also going to. Yeah, yeah. Health. 
comfort and happiness. Yeah. Well, well. Also, what what happens if you like? Okay, well, we've done this equation. Yes, we will have our point five child, <laughs> at one child, point five of a child, please. and and I'll give our child the perfect life, and that child grows up to be an absolute psychopath and some economic woman corporate overlord who just mistreats his employees and gobbles up a whole lot of resources. You know, like you, you see, there's things you can't control, and there's. Mm. That like th- this seems to be like well this is a guarantee of ethical behaviour but it's absolutely not an ethical good outcomes for everybody but this is the problem with utilitarianism ultimately, ultimately is that it wants you to answer a question you can never answer what will your action today what will the results of it be in the future will you bring about mm. greater good in the world in future you can't answer that question because no, you don't you know can't know yeah you can't know so what what is I guess what's the answer here then is just to love your husband love your wife. Be open to new life. It's a beautiful gift from God, even when it's hard and challenging. That's right. And this is why community matters, because we've got this whole thing, and this is what the both of these articles really point to, is this individualistic liberalism. And then we have two individualistic liberals who go, well, Katie, you will gratify me and I will gratify you, so we should make this official. We'll form a marriage partnership. And then they become two, and they become this little nuclear family and if they have kids, it's their family. But that, that I would argue that model's all wrong. Mm. That's why I don't talk about the nuclear family anymore. Mm. Because right up until very recently, we understood that family and community, they're all sort of one. They flow out of, you can't have families struggling on their own. No, that's right. Yeah. The need, we need each other. Because, I mean, you and you could probably rattle off a hundred different examples of incidents where just the basic community of other mums around mm. you makes all the difference in the world when you're struggling. Definitely, yep. You know? And funnily enough, it probably reduces your emissions. <laughs> so that beautiful uh, piece of music there that you've just heard means that it's time for our moment of goodness, truth... Or beauty. Katie, would you like to, oh, go, I get to first? go first? You have done a lot of talking. I have actually. Time. I've talked my head off this oh, episode. I'm so, so sorry, shocking. folks. If you came here for Katie, <laughs> I'm sorry. Listen, how's your chance I'm, to listen I'm so Katie. sorry. So my, my emissions have been high. My moment is not a moment. <laughs> oh, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, go. Okay. I don't think yours is either just looking at what's written on there. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to, I was thinking about this and I was like, oh, what's really been, you know, it's been a long time. Mm. And I'm sure there's been a lot of, good, true and beautiful things in the last few months. But um, our oldest daughter has just started, not just, has been working in a rest home. Yeah. She's 15, she'll be 16 in May, and she's been working in the local rest home, which is about a block away. She started at the end of last year. And um, this is a kid who, her ick factor is pretty, hey, her bar for ick is pretty low. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I had a, this conversation with a friend the other day about how my bar for ick is actually quite high. Like yeah. I can handle gross things. Yeah. Um, which I'm quite proud of. <laughs> <laughs> Blood and guts I had to think the whole day. I was like, what icks me out? I had to spend the whole day thinking about it. I was like, I can't. I mean, there are a few things, but even now I can't remember what they were, the ones I identified. So I'll let send, you know. Send us your potential ick factor send us your, yeah, suggestions. Yeah, we'll see and if we'll the ick's we'll do like we'll a one to ten. <laughs> yeah, next, next episode we'll yeah, talk about Like icks. a pack and save survey. Um, <laughs> anyway. I just wanted to acknowledge how proud I am of her because at 15 she's doing some pretty icky things that, yeah. you know, for a kid who doesn't like. It's been beautiful, yeah, right, to see the way she's yeah, changed. She's absolutely flourished. So I mean, she's already pretty too. cool. 
but she's definitely flourished and she's grown and she... We do have cool kids. We do. We, we do. do. Our kids, have, are, our the kids cool are cool kids. <laughs> our kids are really Some cool. Some of them are slightly nerdy, but I tend to think that's kind of cool. That's an indication They're of cool. coolness. They're absolutely um, cool. Anyway, she's just, yeah, she's really come into herself and she, she serves those people in that rest home so beautifully yeah. and she actually really enjoys it and she gets a lot out of it. She comes home happy. Yeah. Um, she comes home with great stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People with a high ick factor will appreciate. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she says she's happy to go to work. She gets herself up at 6 a.m. on know, the weekend. This I last know. weekend she did, did she do three days in a row? Yeah, I know. Yeah, crazy. 7 a.m. shifts, you know, and she just, there's no complaints. She just gets up, she goes, sorts herself out. And she comes home and tells you all about the beautiful people in the rest time and whether they liked the dinner that was cooked for them or not. And, and I, I worked in a rest time when I was 18. But I'm just so amazed at her ability to do it at this young age and to really um, give herself to that. It kind of comes back to what we're talking about. She's giving yeah. outside of herself and it's definitely been a good thing for her. Yeah. Um, not to mention it's pretty good money. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, I, I would say, look, if you're uh, – based on the back of our experience mm. – if your kids who are, you know, well, probably 15 and up really, if they're looking for a job, um, I would say this is a really meaningful thing. She's found, like, it's also just talking to her about her future prospects and yeah, it's starting to give yeah. her clarity about what she'd like to do. Yeah, that's right. It's not, this is not simply a, you know, make a burger, make a buck type thing. It's it's a community of care yeah. and it's really changed her whole outlook. And I've been so impressed by the way she's just, you're right, her her. The way she's flourished, yeah, she's and the way really she talks about more these of an adult, people. right? Like she's, yeah. um, she's had to really work on those interpersonal relationships, working yeah. with other people that are, you know, the people who work in that rest time are pretty tired, pretty run down after the last few years. Um, yeah, they're often short staffed, mm. and um, yeah, she's had to really kind of work her way through all of that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's took taken to it like a duck to water, though. Yeah, eh? it's, it's it's quite a beautiful. That's that's a good one. Thank you. You stole what was going to be my idea for a future episode. But yeah, I've got something else actually. That's good. We'll call that divine. We had a big conversation about whether or not she could work on a Sunday. That's right. And um, came to the conclusion that because it wasn't Burger King or McDonald's, <laughs> but you know, not yeah. every teenager wants to go to work on a Sunday and, and white bums and yeah, feed people yeah. and deal but with people does. that are a bit grumpy. And, and I thought, well, vocationally speaking, you know, it's necessary work. Someone has to do it. I think she's actually got, to, she's growing into your. Lack of ick factor. You think so? Well, yeah. she told me a story. I picked up the phone the other day and she was telling me a story about something. And I won't repeat it here and here, but it was like, <laughs> and she was just like, yeah, just, she just dealt with it. It was like, oh, so definitely, you know, yeah. I thought she got that from you. Um, well, my my moment of goodness, truth or beauty, which I thought was actually quite a, quite a good one, <laughs> now feels a bit pale in significance <laughs> to yours. Um, no. Well, no, no. My, mine's actually a, a group, uh, a musical uh, group, if you like. Uh, some people call them <laughs> bands. These guys are not a band, but they produce original music on Spotify they are awesome. I'm pretty sure they're all Catholics. Um, so you get this beautiful Christian music with a, often a very traditional flavor. Um, they are a, a group or an outfit, an ensemble called uh, Clamave de Profundis. You can look them up on YouTube. It's uh, three words. Uh, Clamave is C-L-A-M-A-V-I. And then De is D-E. Or D, a D profundus, it might be, yeah. And then profundus is P R O F U N D I S, uh, Clamavi de profundus. And um, 
they are what it's just awesome. Our kids have uh, started going here. Yeah, this is quite cool. They produce two types of music. You get these beautiful sort of Gregorian chants and sacred hymns they do. So it's these sort of Latin uh, traditional chants. Um, and uh, like at Christmas last year, they did a beautiful version of um, of uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And, and it's really beautiful. It's not, it's not cheesy. It's not like um, pentatonics. Okay, I, I, pentatonics. No, no offense. You're going to lose some people, but yeah, I know. If anybody loves the pentatonics, I'll love them with you. But but it will be a a, a chore for me to love them. Um, I will love them because Jesus commands me to <laughs> to love my enemies and pray for those who um, who uh, discourage me. Um, so they're not like that. They're not cheesy, um, but they do. So they do that, and then their other output is. Um, this this really beautiful um, folk uh, musical renditions of Tolkien's poetry mm. and love those ones, eh? they really and the kids love them and they're really and they really are good. I've heard sort of what you might call Tolkien Lord of the Rings fan music type stuff, and you're like, oh. The production values aren't high, <laughs> uh, or or it's like oh you know it's a good effort it's a good effort you know <laughs> these guys are not like that it's it, it's really um, it's really great and it's it's um, it's stuff you can put on and reflectively listen to it's uh, you know it's not thump 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 it's it, it's really yeah it's good I, I would highly recommend it and especially the the Tolkien stuff but also the Christian stuff there's some really beautiful stuff that'll help I think shape and form your character and your Thinking about the world and others, and the Tolkien stuff in particular, it's sort of because it's so deep. The you know what Tolkien wrote, of course, and his poetry. So, so that was my. I didn't, you know, I had to have a moment. I suppose it's a, a whole lot of moments that you can find on Spotify for yourself. And the kids will hear it from the office, and they'll say, "Dad's playing that thing again." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad's <laughs> Dad's got that thing on again. But um, but yeah, it is. It's um, if you're looking for something wholesome, wholesome for those family trips in the car. You know, when everyone says, oh, "I want to put something on Spotify." <laughs> That's something that uh, is well worth your time. Our scripture reflection for the month, Katie. Would you like to go first oh, again? Do you have a Do you have again. a scripture on your heart? Well, interestingly, um, this sort of came from the beginning of Lent. You know, where you're going, oh, what am I going to do for Lent? And I've sort of learnt in the last few years that I just need to let the Lord show me, and yep. not kind of dive in with like you know six hundred things I'm giving up or whatever, but just kind of let Him show me. And um, I don't know if you remember, but we had a little incident with Eleanor, who's our seven year old, who said some few choice words she'd picked up yes. at school. Yes, I do remember. And I had just been listening to another podcast. Oh, which, the name of which escapes me. I'm trying to remember. Um, it's called What Happens When Your Children Say Choice Words. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was something completely different. But one of the things that the one of the hosts mentioned was um, that he was trying to clean up his language. Yeah. And that he said, you know, our mouths are made to praise God. Yeah. And that's why as Christians we shouldn't use bad language. And yeah. Like, oh, it really struck a chord. Not because I use bad language very often, I don't yeah. think, I try not to, yeah. but it just really sat with me, and then we had this incident with Eleanor, and so I thought, oh, awesome, this is a good spot for, for that. I said to her, our mouths are made to praise God, we don't say bad words, because that's what our mouths are created for, yeah. and it's really just stayed with me, and um, during Lent, that from Psalm 51, Lord, you will open my lips, and my mouth will declare your Great praise. Psalm. Which is one of my favourite Psalms anyway, the whole thing, but that particular verse has really sat with me through Lent, and I think... I've really been focusing on that as my prayer of Lent is not to complain, 
Mm-hmm. You know, it comes so much comes into it, not to mm-hmm. complain, not to speak badly of others. Beautiful. That when when we open our mouths, what we say should be praiseworthy. Yeah. And should hopefully point people back to God that we speak and love. That's love a great that's yeah. a great point and a great practical tip too, because um we often forget this that your the big things that go wrong in life, they are absolutely a bit, um, often fueled by the bad habits in the small mm-hmm. areas. And we're like, That's oh, right. yeah, but I don't, I, I mean, I don't abuse people in the street. And every now and then you have a big outburst or whatever. That's coming off the back of a habit often. Mm. And, and we don't, we're not, we don't often think and we often don't encourage each other to think about our smaller habits like speech. Yep. That's a really good point. That is a, that's a great one. So Psalm 51. Yeah, Psalm 51, well, there's quite a bit in there, but verse 16 says, Rescue me from violent bloodshed, God, my saving God. And my tongue will sing joyfully of your justice. Mm. Lord, you will open my lips and my mouth will proclaim your praise. But it's, it's funny when those, sometimes when the Lord shows you something like this, it pops up everywhere. So yeah. for the first like two yeah. weeks of Lent, the whole thing was, was yeah, all yeah. of the readings were the same thing. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, Message yeah. received. Yeah, okay. I've <laughs> yeah. got a problem. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I will, I will make adjustments. Um, for me, this uh, was something that really struck me over the weekend, actually, from the Gospel of John, Chapter 4. The story of the Samaritan woman who's at the well. It's such a beautiful, rich encounter with Christ and the Samaritan woman at the well. And there's, uh, there's such a depth, too, to what's going on. Um, it's really quite a profound passage. And we tend to maybe only think of it like a, a woman who's got all these husbands and is living in adultery and... And we sort of see that part of it, but there's actually so much more, and we don't really have time to get into that now, but uh, it really is about the Samaritan people and their break from Israel and the pagan false gods and, you know, all that kind of, it's all embroiled in that moment. And this is Christ going to try and bring them and reunite them. It's quite a profound thing. But anyway, in that in that passage, uh, it says this, chapter 4, verse 39 to 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. So after she'd had this encounter, the woman at the well with Jesus. He told me everything I ever did. That's what she said to them. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And this is the key bit. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. And I thought about how profound that was, and how, if you're a parent, this is such an important reminder for us, And but not just for parenting. It's... Our children, when they're younger, they will embrace belief based on the back of their parents' belief. But there comes a moment when they have to have an encounter with Christ themselves. And I wonder, as families, I've been thinking a bit about this lately, what are we doing to try and foster those moments where they can have that encounter? Mm. In a way that's real, and it's not artificial, like, okay, now you have turned 15, (laughs) it is Encounter Jesus Night. No, you you know, and we have a ceremony, but... But what, what are we doing to foster that? So it's more than just, right, let's do family prayers, but it's like what is God saying to you right now? Like like our, mm. our eldest daughter actually said that to me the other day, she said she talked about what God was doing in her life to me, and I was oh, like just beautiful. about in tears, and I was like this is awesome because yeah. that's it's not just, oh, yeah, mum and dad, 
We believe because you've told yeah. us about this guy. It's like we've actually now heard him mm. for ourselves. So what are we doing mm. to, to help foster those encounter moments for our kids yeah. and encourage them to start that conversation with God? Yeah. Eleanor was doing her preparation for First Holy Communion and part yeah. of each lesson is journal with Jesus. Cool. I'm not supposed to look at those bits, but I do cheat because <laughs> they're super cute. <laughs> I bet they are. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's nice to, yeah, she really loves that. They're doing a bit of prayer journaling at school as well this year. Mm. And she says to me how much she really likes that time at yeah. school. Yeah. I think I think for me, one thing I'm bit, uh, re- very focused on now is, well, reminding our kids that God has a plan for their mm. lives. And maybe they've been thinking up until now that um, they're sort of following God's plan for mum and dad sort of thing. Mm. But now that once they've hit their teen years, it's like, you know, God has a plan for you. And this, I think this is important because they, they're at a time now where identity is starting to become yeah. a, dig, a big deal. And also there's so many corrupting false mm. gospels out there, you know, about identity and who yeah. you can be. And and they actually just, the, the best place to do is to say, well, I'm going to land on the rock and I'm going to say, okay, God, well, what am I supposed to be doing? Who am I? Yeah. And the only way to know that really and to know my true identity is to know who he is mm. and what he's doing in my life. It's, yeah, so important to eh? mm. And it kind of comes back to the article about the ethical questions because I think it reduces people to em- emitting carbon emitting life forms. <laughs> carbon based <laughs> carbon so much emitters. more than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, so that's our moment of goodness, truth or beauty and our scriptural reflection for the month, let's jump into the questions that have been sent to us. Three questions today, and they are really good. These are doozies. So let's just jump straight into it. First one, how do you parent when the parents have differing views regarding sexuality? For example, when one parent holds strong traditional views about homosexuality and the other is more open on that issue, how do you navigate that with kids. And so I would say it's not uh, the other is more open. I would I'd encourage people to whoever writes the question to think that the other person has a different ideology on this mm. because it implies that Christianity is not open and it's not true at all. Mm. We're open to the fullness of flourishing of the human person. It's the question is how do you flourish? Do you flourish by simply gratifying every desire you have mm. or by having ordering your desires towards the good? Mm. So that's that, you know, in, in that regard. So, Katie, have you have you got any ideas that how would you navigate? Because really that's one, a big one, right? We're obviously on the same page, so yeah. um, I find that I would find that quite hard to deal with. Um, I think the main thing is to remind your kids that uh, we always love, no matter what. Yeah, you know that if they came home and said they were struggling with sexuality questions around sexuality and gender, the first thing is love. Yeah, yeah, that you're never going to abandon them. Mm. You know. Um, You'd have to couple that too, though, right, yeah. with um, authentic love is always guided by truth. Mm. You know, like the, the culture today has unshackled love from truth. It just says love is basically it's sentiment. It's what mm. you love feel. Love, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, whether you want to self-gratify or I want to feel happy or I want people to make me feel happy mm. and you don't love me if you're going to tell me uncomfortable truths. And mm. so I think we've got to say to our kids, we've got to, we've got to, Speak the truth. Yeah, yeah, and remind our kids and say, look, we absolutely love you and, and, um, you know, we'd we'd die for you. Mm. Um, But the reason we'd die for you is because we see the truth of Christ and that's That's the full truth and that's including about 
the fullness of human sexuality and self-giving. Mm. It's part of that equation, you know. Yeah. I think a couple of things for me that, well, first of all, I think you and your spouse, you've got to have a conversation. You've got to have a sit-down conversation and try and figure out, I mean, this is a hard situation to be in. I think you've got to figure out exactly what the boundaries are in regards to your children. So it's probably when you're around each other, you have a bit more freedom and flexibility as to how Mm. you, the disagreement, if you like, between you. you But around your children, you have to figure out, well, what the heck does this actually look like? And that's that's an important, Mm. I I can't stress how important that conversation is. You've got it, you've got, as soon as you can, you've really got to sit down and say, okay, well, what does this mean for our parenting? Mm. And, and, and I think you've got to be brutally honest. Mm. And I'm imagining this has been written by the person who is the Christian parent Mm. in the equation. And I think you've got to be brutal, brutally honest about the, because this might be a moment of evangelization for your spouse as well. Yep, that's true. Where they suddenly, the light of Christ enlightens their heart and mind to a truth, a moral truth that maybe they had not understood previously mm. or had not embraced because no one had ever actually shown it to them, you know, like the like the woman at the well, right? That's right, yeah. Um, the second thing here is actually, as a step back from this, is this is a really important reminder of why before you get married, <laughs> you, yeah, you've yeah. got to, I think there is such merit and, and we don't want you don't want some weird culty closed. I only marry people of my own kind, kind of thing. Uh, and you don't want a weird checklist, a checkbox list, because no one is perfect in that regard. But there is absolutely profound and important merit in people, and more and more so, I think, if you have a Christian vision of reality, seeking out a spouse who has that, or at the very least says, "Look, I don't understand it all." but I will absolutely honour that mm. with our children. Because we had some really big, hard questions, didn't we, before we... Definitely did. I was very specific about how cutlery is to be put on the plate <laughs> when you're finished eating. Yeah, so <laughs> if that's a reminder, if you're doing marriage prep, you're thinking about marriage prep, these are questions that are worth exploring mm-hmm. if you're not already doing that. Okay, second question then, um, and this is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to discipline other people's children? Katie, what oh, do you why think? Why are you asking me that? Well, I don't know. I suspect you know what I'm going to say. But I don't. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I know what you're going to say. Um, yes, but the way you do it is important. Oh, yeah. safe. Ooh, Good answer. Good answer. Um, so I, yes, it's okay, yeah. but how matters? I think it depends who the kids are and who the parents are. Are you friends with them? What's the situation? Yeah. I recently, I don't know if you call it discipline, but I recently intervened in a situation with a friend <laughs> where her child was basically beating her up. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, now, this is a kid that has some learning difficulties and other issues, and she's tiny, so it wasn't hard to pick her up and <laughs> carry her to her bedroom, yeah. even though she was thrashing and kicking. Um, simply, I now simply intervened because I could see an injury coming to one or both people. Yeah. Um, put her on her bed and said, when you're ready to behave, you can come out of the bed. Yeah, and yeah. sure enough, she screamed for about five minutes, was quiet for about 10 and then came out and was quite happy and chatting mm. and said, I came out to say sorry. Yeah. So I don't know if you call that discipline. That is discipline. Yeah, that is discipline, yeah. yeah. It's a correction of a behaviour. And I think I came home and said to you, oh, I'm not sure if I should have or no, not. No, you did the right thing. Yeah. You do question yourself, I think. Um, yeah. I have told a kid to use their manners yeah. Once and then 
I think the thing I always do is that I tell the parents if I've done it. Yeah, okay, sure that's interesting. Know. So I did say to my friend, look, I had to talk to your daughter about this. And she said, that's absolutely fine. I hope that you would do that yeah. anytime you felt yeah. it was necessary. But I would never physically discipline another person's child, I don't think. I would restrain a child if yeah. I had to. Well, picking so, up the child. In fact, I have. Yeah. We had a situation in our house one Christmas, actually, didn't we? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and I had to pick up a young chap who um, who was being, yeah, it was not good. So um, I would, I would physically intervene to restrain, like if it was a For child safety. about to, yeah, yeah about to beat another child or, or something, or... I would be, yeah, I'd be grabbing them and saying, no, nah, no. Nah. Or I'd pick a child up and take them out of a place if they're throwing an absolute tantrum that was really, really destructive mm. to the, to what was going on and, and they needed to be alone to, to yeah. Yeah, I'd probably do that. Um, I think you're right. That's the key, right? It's, it's, it, it, there's not really a yes or no in a sense, because in some situations, and I think probably most, the answer is yes. But another, depending on, yeah, depending but on another situation, doing, the answer yeah. could well be no. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, like, do you have a genuine relationship and connection mm. with this child? Generally, that's probably a good rule of thumb. Like with mm. the family, is there, um, like, do you know enough to know that you're actually dealing with a disobedient child mm. and not a child maybe who's got some sort of... Um, uh, whether it's psychological or mm. cognitive issue that mm. manifests itself in yeah. that way. And then you think, oh, it's bad behaviour, but it might yeah, not yeah. be bad behaviour. It might be a, a faulty mechanism in the brain that means they can't yeah. quite behave right. And you may uh, you not know. know how to handle that. Yeah, not yeah. Parent. So yeah. you better be real careful about that. Um, I think also, like, uh, context matters. I, 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 there was a lady, lovely lady, who would come along each week to church by herself with her two kids. And the son just sort of got to that age, became a bit more of a rat bag. And I saw her actually in church and I um, I could see she was just wanted to pray and to be present. And he was just being a little rat bag. And so what I did was I actually came and sat beside her and I said to, I think I said something to her, can I help or something like that. And then I just sat beside him and just basically gave him the eye. You know, <laughs> I didn't say anything. I didn't, you know, I didn't give him the thumb. I just looked at him and and you didn't he was, give him the old clip around the ear like your dad used to. No, no, nothing <laughs> like that. And and what happened was that it was because you got that sense of what well, that that was what was needed. You could mm. see, and it, sure enough, that what was that was what was needed. And all of a sudden, he just that male presence was enough yeah. for this young fella to basically just to to sort of toe the line. I actually, I think I actually even picked him up and might have. Sat him beside me and distracted him, or something like that, mm. and, and and so it and and so she could actually just pray, and then afterwards she said she apologized, and I was like, no, not at all, and I and I said to her, good on you, you're doing an awesome thing. So this is important. I made her aware that it was so awesome that she was bringing her yeah. child to church, and she was in tears mm. when I said that to her because I think what she was expecting was, oh, you rowdy little rat bag. You know? <laughs> or maybe here's some advice about how to what parent you your child. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so, so, but it wasn't like I intervened, but it wasn't a disciplinary. Mm. It was a distraction intervention. Mm. Ultimately, that was exactly what was needed. So, you know, prudence matters. And then at other times, but we had an incident recently, actually, I was with my daughter and um, I was driving her home and there was this young fella who would have been oh, yeah. young high school and we've got some major roadworks happening around us and I've got all of the cones out to keep people away and so it's for safety and he'd gone down and knocked over probably 50 metres worth of cones, knocked them all over. And so drivers in low cars can't see the cones. It's, it's supposed to guide them. It's a safety thing. 
And so I pulled over and I don't know this kid. I got out of the car because I saw him knocking the last of them over and I walked over them just across the road and said, what's your name and where do you live? <laughs> and he looked at me because he knew he'd been caught and, uh, and he said, oh, I don't have to give you that information. So I knew straight away I'm not going to labour this point. And so I said, I just literally looked and I said, get back there and pick up every single one of those cones now. That was the stupidest thing I've seen today. If a car comes along as a result of what you've done, you could actually cause someone to have a serious accident. It's dangerous. Go and put it right. And I didn't give him any options, no conversation. And he turned around, he grumbled, entitled young fella. <laughs> and he went back and then he started to look to walk. And then I got my car and I realized he was about to turn around again. Mm. So I, I actually got out of the oh no, I drove the car around the corner and sat across the road and watched. So he knew he was being held accountable and he went and picked them all up and he wasn't happy about it, but that I absolutely know that was the right thing to do because I think the danger is if we say, well, no, don't, don't discipline ever other mm. people's kids. I actually think that's a moral indifference. Mm. It breeds indifference. It's like you shouldn't care when you see something out of line, yeah. it also means there's a communal indifference. It's like mm. if you're in community, that means you should care enough for so when other people's kids uh, maybe do need an intervention, and like mm. and and obviously sometimes they don't. It's yeah, just if it's right. just little kids being kids, yeah. you know, yeah. stop that right now. You know, like little babies. No, 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 no. Yeah. no. We're talking genuine incidents, but if we're in community, we should care about each other enough to actually say, well, I have a. Like mm. a responsibility here to to help love this kid as well in a That's sense. Right. Yeah. Now the parents have to do the big stuff, but yeah. so yeah, I think so. You've said your advice is yes, but how you do it matters. Mm. I've added uh, yes, but also depending on context, yeah. which I think is really important. I think um, I think often people, especially as a mum, I struggle with this. Not necessarily with your mum. But I've heard of other mums that struggle with their parents-in-law oh, yeah. stepping yeah. into situations where they maybe shouldn't be getting involved. And that is a fine line, I think. Yeah. Um, my parents are particularly good at just letting us kind yeah. of be the ones in charge. And if we're there, they're not going to go disciplining our kids. Like Certainly if they're looking after our children, yeah. especially our younger two, I would expect them to be. And they do that. They do yeah. a good job. I know that. But I know, I've heard of stories where, where mothers or fathers-in-law may get involved where they don't need to. And um, It's a challenge, eh? Cause... Yeah, that's an important conversation to have, to actually say, hey, when we're there, <laughs> yeah. we'll deal with that. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a funny one too because it, it can go both ways whereby maybe people don't realise that their parenting is not up to snuff. And so the the, the grandparents can or, see what's yeah. going wrong. Yeah, that's true. But then yeah. the flip side is, even if that is the case, you've still, I think, got to have a conversation with yep. your adult children about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, yeah. I, I, If I was a grandparent, I wouldn't just sort of step in and go, oh, look here, Sonny, Jim, I'll show you how <laughs> this is done. You know, that's that's yeah. not really – I would probably – my response would be to – unless it was an emergency that needed yeah. an intervention and no one was going to intervene, I would just quietly have a conversation away from any public or yeah, right. kids prying ears and just say, hey, look, um, you know that situation that happened before, I just – um, can we help? Are you okay? Yeah. Like I'd offer to help and, yeah. and sort of put it, frame it that way. But but yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That is a good point. So there you it's go. A careful relationship to manage. Yeah, that and yeah, <laughs> and, and absolutely. You know, you don't want to put your in-laws offside. Uh, final question for the episode. And gosh, this is a very meaty one. Mm -hmm. uh, this is what the question says. I see an increasing number of articles coming through the media on ENM which is, for those who don't know the acronyms, if you're not hip, <laughs> it stands Ethem. for Ethical Non-Monogamy. Mm. 
Yeah. It's an oxymoron. There's no such thing. <laughs> we'll just start there, shall we? It's it's a it's a I've never heard of this before. It, it's a euphemism, and euphemisms are used to cloak truth. That's mm. the reality of it. It's an Orwellian way of saying promiscuous or mm. multi-partnered relationship or whatever you have open, you frame open relationships no because no. that implies oh. marriages are closed but then marriages in a sense are closed to other people but marriages are not closed they are fully open because both spouses okay. give but themselves totally to each other so they, they can open about dating multiple people at the same that's time. exactly okay. it is, yeah, yeah. just checking yeah so, so it is i've never heard of enum before it's it's polygamy Oh. People don't like to use the word polygamy because everyone knows there's a moral problem there instinctively. Okay. So they're like, ethical non-monogamy. You know, it's a euphemism. Mm. Uh, so it's polygamous relationships. Um, why is the media pushing this agenda? And how would you argue the case for keeping monogamy as the best relationship structure? The articles often say, I read, I read this in the Herald today, and I think I know the article that this person's talking about actually, that you need better interpersonal skills to navigate polygamous relationships and they seem to think this is a pro of these kinds of structures so as you'll be a better person if you're in a polygamous this is Seth Rogen you'll be again. smarter you'll be better happier oh, no, that's not having babies yeah yeah so you'll be better happier smarter if you're polygamous did some Mormon fund the Herald to write, to write so what you article? need to do to get smarter and have better interpersonal skills is to be a polygamous and have no children no, no children polygamous <laughs> um, and then lastly the person says this they also state that the current generation is much less inclined to consider to sorry to consider monogamy as the best form of relationship well let's break this down because mm. there's a few things in here first of all ethical non-monogamy it doesn't exist I, I, I'm just going to call it it doesn't exist a if you're in a, a relationship a promiscuous relationship where you've brought multiple sexual partners together you've I don't know I mean I don't want to be crass but you've got a you've got a formalized organized orgy of some kind going on <laughs> yeah. a, a long-term orgy why don't we use Everybody that bring your keys <laughs> <laughs> yeah. why don't we use that euphemism I'm in a formalized long-term orgy because that's clear clearly this is what's going on I'd argue um so this is a euphemism so let's be honest use use the correct words polygamous uh, I don't know Promiscuous, multi-partnered, that would be another way of describing it. I feel like these people didn't get that diagram at school. <laughs> if you sleep with this person and they've slept with this person, yeah, then you've slept right. with all these people. people. <laughs> you know, they're maximising the risk here. Uh, why, why is the media pushing this agenda? Because they're the media. Well, yeah. Uh, because a, it's cool, guys. <laughs> two, two reasons. Number one is because we live in a culture now that has lost the sacred transcendent mm. order and one of the biggest dysfunctions is in sexuality. Mm and identity, and human flourishing, and we think self-gratification is the path to this. So why can't I self-gratify with multiple people? Mm. How dare you be a bigot and say that, you know, be a polyphobe a and polyphobe. say, you know, there's something wrong with wow. me if I don't have multiple partners. You know, that that's that's why, that's part of it. And also because it is salacious. The media knows mm. that, oh, what? Oh, polygamy. Oh, I'll 100%. click on that article. You know, it's salacious. So there's absolutely a clickbait mm. thing here. It's funny how they like this polygamy, but they're not on board with the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints polygamy. It's two different things. Well, because it's, it's, they talk too much about God. Uh, and, and, and not they, that I'm on board with either polygamy, no, for the but, record. But, <laughs> but they're, they're confused about Mormonism and they see, uh, which they wrongly, a lot of them think Mormonism is maybe just another branch of Christianity or it's a church or something. Mm. And that they just don't like that first and foremost. Right, okay. You know, um, I that's that'd be my take. So if God told you be, to be a polygamist, <laughs> that's not allowed. 
But if you're an well, ethical non-monogamist okay, who has no God. Here's a related right. issue to this. Because sometimes people make this bizarre and absolutely shocking claim. Well, there's polygamy in, in the, the Old Testament <laughs> in the Bible. Listen, folks, let me. this is a really important point to understand. There are two types of things, well, among others, but there are two. Mm-hmm. This is a basic rule. There are two types of things you will see in Scripture. You will see Scripture that is prescriptive. Mm. It's a moral command. So love your neighbor is a prescription. You must do this thing. Mm. The other things you will read in Scripture are descriptive accounts. They are simply describing what actually happened. And so when you read about, for example, the polygamy of King Solomon or King David, you are not being told A, to do this, and you are not being told this is good. In fact, you see very much, if you look at the Old Testament and understand, that a lot of the issues actually um, evolve from those polygamous arrangements. And there's also clearly indication that this is not part of God's plan. These people have just strayed off the reservation and God tolerates like he does for all of us. He doesn't smite us and he tolerates our sin, but expects us to repent and deal with it before we die. Mm. You know, I'm obviously along the way, not, not the last minute, but you know, constantly. <laughs> well, I mean, if you have to. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so if anyone throws that at you, just say, look, I'm sorry, you're not understanding Christian scripture. Yeah. Um, if you think that, that it's somehow it's commanding polygamy or saying it's morally okay, it's mm. never, it doesn't do that anywhere. In fact, Christ is very clear one woman, one man. That's God's plan. He, he very clearly says that in the Gospels. Mm. Um, so, this agenda is it's an anti marriage thing, mm. it's a sexual libertarianism thing, mm. it's a breakdown of sexual identity, and there is also a revolutionary, cultural revolutionary element to it because. A lot of the early cultural revolutionaries uh, of the sort of the Marxist school, they believed that um, the family and the traditional family given to us by Christianity was actually a form of oppression that helped to keep the um, the bourgeoisie in control. And so they believed you had to use sexual promiscuity as a revolutionary tool and that if you could overthrow marriage, you would uh, you would unshackle people from this bondage, and so you know, of course, what does polygamy do? It it's it's an absolute overthrow mm. of marriage, and so so there's there's all that sort of stuff wrapped up in it. Um, even if people don't realise it, they may have picked up this this ideology without understanding where it came mm. from. Um, how would you best argue the case for keeping monogamy? Uh, it's a stable relationship. It's common sense, right? Mm. Yeah. Honestly, I look at these, whenever one of these documentaries turns up, trying desperately, God bless its little soul, trying desperately, though, to normalize and make us think that this is normal. It reminds me of the cannabis thing. It's like, look, these cannabis smokers, they're just like you and I. And then they bring a cannabis smoker onto the camera (laughs) and they're like, yeah, man, like there's totally, I'm like you and like my brain works exactly like I I could study, I I do rocket science at university, man. And you're like, dude, I can see your speech is slower and slower. Your brain's not functioning like, you know, normal people's brains does and you're your own worst advertisement. Something similar here. Mm. So you watch these documentaries and what do you see consistently? You see one dominant party. So you have, let's say, what do they call them? A thruple. Three people. Mm. And you have one dominant party and two vulnerable, needy people who are desperately, this is the tragedy of it, looking for genuine human connection and affection. And they've effectively got a passive-aggressive and manipulative person 
who is basically using them mm. and is, is saying, well, I want sex with this person and this person. And you can see that they've got this dominant. They, they keep talking about how it's equal and it's mm. it's more equal than a marriage. And it's that you look at the situation, you watch it for five minutes and you realise it's not at all. Mm. There's it's always a dominant yeah. party. Yeah. Why do they call it ethical? Is there something specific about this form of non-monogamy that's better than other forms of non-monogamy? Well, they're trying. Knows. To, they're trying to. This is how euphemisms work. You re. It's verbal engineering to try and social engineer. So they're trying to say, well, okay, there are. Let's. I'll give you this. There are non-ethical forms of monogamy, and they would probably. I would imagine. Unethical non-monogamy. Yeah. Is if you're just cheating on people. Yes, yeah. yeah, or if you've forced like someone, you've forced, bigamy. yeah. So adultery yeah. or promiscuity yeah. where you are literally cheating on the relationship yeah. that the other party doesn't know and also um, where someone's coerced or forced into it. Mm. Like, you know, you've you've taken, you've captured the village and taken all their women <laughs> to be your wives, you know, they yeah, would yeah, say that's ethical. I would imagine. Yeah. They would no, they'd say that's unethical, yeah. not monogamy. But it's a euphemism. And they're trying to say, well, ours is ethical. No, no, it's not. It's it's only ethical if you have abandoned mm. a vision of, uh, I would argue, an authentic, self-giving, love-based vision of human sexuality. Because here's the thing. The, 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 how do you argue the case for keeping monogamy? Well, how do you give of yourself fully mm. and totally mm. and completely to more than one person in a marriage? You can't. Mm. You can't. The, the best you can hope for is I give myself fully for a moment and then I briefly move on to someone else and mm-hmm. so I'm briefly with you, then I'm briefly fully. That's not fully. No, that's right. I am actually only giving you part of myself. So this that's the great lie. And I've seen this. I saw an article. Oh, no, we, we, have, um, we, have, we, have, we have a greater capacity for love. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. You mm-hmm. absolutely don't. You're not like because you're not fully giving to each other. You're actually carving yourself up amongst multiple people and at that moment, I would argue it's not authentic self-giving love because the total self can't be given. Yeah, which comes into that the articles say that you need better interpersonal skills <laughs> to navigate these relationships. Um, <laughs> I would say a long-term marriage needs better oh, interpersonal. Yeah. Surely, yeah. yeah. Well, here's the here's, enhances your interpersonal skills on a daily basis. Yeah, and this yeah. is this is where you don't need to be gaslit by these weird <laughs> deviant sexual. They are sexual deviants. Let's call it what it is. It's sexual deviancy. If you've got a problem, come at me seriously. Mm. It, I'm I'm not I'm not prepared to muck around anymore with half truths. It's sexual deviancy, and and what happens is you get these absolute lies told. Mm. Um, oh, we, we you know we love more fully. Uh, we uh, you have to have better interpersonal skills. Well, like you've said, if you're in a multi-partnered promiscuous relationship. Guess what happens when you're annoyed with one of your yeah, sexual partners? Do you you do go and find another person know. to have sex with and you ignore the other partner. Mm. Are you telling me that that actually is a better uh, outworking of a better level, a higher degree of interpersonal skills than you and I, where I can't run away to another partner and nor can you, and so we have to actually work it out? Mm. No, I'm sorry. I, th- I don't believe you for five seconds. I think you're, you're kidding yourself and everyone else around you. Mm. And also... Um, the the whole notion of um, somehow there's a, I would argue, in fact, in many ways, you've probably escaped from, like, you 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 actually need to be confronted and be challenged to grow in your interpersonal right. skills. Yeah. And and so when you're doing this, you're actually escaping. There's no conflict resolution or yeah. No. Yeah. No. And 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 um. Don't have to listen to dad jokes. I could just go somewhere. <laughs> else. I heard a good one today. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Okay. Far away. Where does the hamburger go to dance? Where. To the meatball. Oh gosh, that is 
the kids so were like, painful. oh, mum, that's that pretty is, bad. That is so painful. <laughs> and they even said to good. me, don't tell dad. <laughs> oh, it is so painful. It's Sorry, glorious. <laughs> one of the girls told me the other day this great one that I love now. It's become my favourite joke. They said, if, if you were holding up uh, uh, two rats in front of a mirror, you'd be looking at three of the uh, ugliest things in the world. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, children, for giving back to me. I brought you this into the world. To, this is what my interpersonal skills have to be. You bring, to you bring me back the jokes. Yeah. So um, you often, oh, you need better interpersonal skills. That's a big red flag. Yeah. What do you mean you need better skills to Only certain people can be ethical, non-monogamous, Brendan. So what you're telling you us. You can't do it. It's because your interpersonal skills aren't strong. Well, what you're actually telling me here is underlying this is the ultimate implication or suggestion that this relationship is a lot harder mm. and therefore you need a, you're actually having to juggle something. It's more work, <laughs> exactly. funnily enough. <laughs> so why are you having to juggle this? What, what are you actually doing here? It costs a lot more in dates as well. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> so honestly. The practicalities of this are just not, not shiny. He, here's the great lie. Like I said, you watch one of these docos and it takes probably 10 minutes of screen time and you start to see, if you're astute, and I think I'm reasonably astute at discerning just mm. by watching and observing, and what you start to see are the telltale signs of jealousy. That it'll crop up and or someone manipulating someone else, they always that crop up. somebody in that relationship is effectively being abused. They're yep. in a position of abuse. Yep. Yep. Yep, and, and I've seen that too. Yeah. It's very clear where you've yeah. got two people who clearly have got themselves in a position of power over a third yeah. party. They've dragged into their dysfunction. Yeah. I mean... Honestly, yeah, the notion that you need better interpersonal skills um, implies that there is a greater degree of risk or problems here that you're having to negotiate. Well, why is that problem? Mm. Oh, that problem exists because you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And maybe if you went back to the fundamentals of men and women, you wouldn't need to navigate those problems. And it's also a lie. You don't actually need better interpersonal skills at all because you can run away and, mm. oh, well, let's just add another person. And, and how do you have better interpersonal skills when you are divided across multiple people, whereas one-on-one -on -one for a lifetime, I really need to hone those there are skills. some days where we really have to work at our interpersonal skills. You know, and, and they get better because it's just you and me and you know when I'm faking and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you whereas each other better. Yeah. if I skip from person to person to person, mm. uh, let's say I had a particular issue and it kept cropping up. It's yeah. like it keeps coming back and back. Like with you, I can actually deal with it and become mm. better in, the, in that part of my Mm. interpersonal relational skills, you know, the, this would actually be a potential for people to not become better mm. because they're spreading themselves too thin. So, yeah. Um, lastly, they also state that the current generation is much less inclined to consider monogamy as the best form of relationship. What do you say to that? Current generation's got problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, one answer would be the current generation was also eating Tide Pods on social media <laughs> just a couple of years ago. If you wanted – I mean, if that's, if that's your measure – yeah. Honestly, that is this is again another problem of our age. This very dumb idea that wisdom doesn't mean anything anymore that yeah. that age and maturity and wisdom and life learnings don't mean anything and yeah. oh no, they're all dum-dums and bad people the old ones, the young ones. Haven't they decided that you don't get out. to full adulthood to 25 now or something? Your brain doesn't something fully about, yeah. develop until 25. So maybe that tells you everything you need to know. But also <laughs> I think that there's a there's a fear of relationship in the Bingo. current generation. Bingo. Yeah. I think Good. this is. I know something. I think this is a lie. <laughs> yeah. I actually think this is a, a this is an unprovable assertion. Mm. Oh well, the current generation is much less inclined yeah, to. How many of the current? How did you did figure they that interview? out? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. okay. Well, my my myself, my partner, my other partner. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. And our my son and their daughter in this weird polygamous relationship, they're okay with it. Oh, that's all we did. And and they, they trust. They told us that their friends are as well. Yeah, so yeah, we, we know cool. we need to know. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. This is nonsense. Because in actual fact, what's interesting is there's some very troubling and interesting trends around young people and relationships mm. and sex at the moment. We know that the younger generation coming through, they're actually having a lot less sex than any other generation. Mm. They seem to actually be really resistant to it, which could be, you'd think, oh, initially, oh, maybe they've got this figured out. Or they're cynical. Yeah. They're jaded. Um, also, yes, if you are raised in a dysfunctional culture, mm. you will come to think dysfunction is normal. Yeah. You know, well, if you were raised in a culture of consumerism and sexual consumerism with hookup apps and stuff like that, mm. what, you don't value monogamy? Well, oh, colour me surprised. Oh. So if you teach a child to do a certain thing, they'll think it's normal. Yeah, like that, that, that's not an argument for anything. That All you've done is I have observed a particular behaviour, but you observing that behaviour doesn't, or a preference, doesn't mm. mean that that preference is right or what good. What do they mean by current generation as well? Who are we talking about here? Yeah, that's like, it. What's that's the current exactly generation? It. That's exactly it. Like we're talking sort of the 20 to 25-year-olds or the 25, yeah. whatever that is. What are those guys, Gen Xs or whatever they are? Yeah, that, and that's beyond that now. I can't oh, yeah, remember I can't what the new up. Zoom, not Zoom, is. what is it? Oh, there's a name. But but yeah, Zoom. it's there's there's a... Because um, surely we could just look at the stats of how many of them are getting married. Yeah. To see if they think monogamy is a good... Yeah, that's you know? that's that's a good point. Isn't that well, it, an it, actual sign? But it's, it's, mo- well, it's more than that, though. It's like, what about those who... I guarantee if you asked the overwhelming majority of people... They might not necessarily say, well, marriage is big on my radar, but I guarantee you they'll say, I would really love it if mm. I found that just that perfect person, person who loved yeah, me and I, and I could spend the rest yeah. of my life with. I guarantee you the majority would say that. Yeah. So what does that mean? They want one person. Yeah. I guarantee you that only some weird, tiny, little fringe minority might say something like, and you probably have to prompt them too, well, I hope I end up in a multi-partnered polygamous relationship. Mm. I don't believe that young people, actually, that is their norm. Mm. So even if they're not saying marriage, they might yeah. still be saying one. Monogamous, I guarantee yeah. it's one person. That's my experience anyway. Mm. So, but, but also, even if they weren't, mm. it doesn't prove anything. No, that doesn't make it right. They're, like the I said, they've been eating Tide Pods on social <laughs> yeah. media. So, you know, that, that's not – It's the whole point of youth is it needs to be shaped and formed by mm. wisdom and truth. And mm. so, so yeah, I mean, hopefully that's answered the question. But, uh, gosh, that was a good one. Yeah. That was a real – and you're right. I've noticed the same thing myself. I've noticed the prevalence of these articles. It's a culture and dysfunction, sadly, and that's why it's so much uh, – it's more important than ever before that we actually live. Like the name of the podcast, The Little Flock – we form together in little flocks. We support each other. We live this goodness, this truth, and this beauty we, that, you know, that we talked about. That's in the title of our podcast, Goodness, Truth, and Beauty Amongst the Darnel, you know, like amongst the weeds, be the goodness, truth, and beauty, and, and model that so that when people realize, oh, no, polygamy is dysfunctional, where do I go to to get better advice? They'll look at you, and they'll see you're a person of stability who's mm. a person of virtue and has got hope and a a sense of clarity about your life. That's why this Christian community endeavour really matters so much. Right? That's right. Yeah. I think that's all we want to say, isn't it, Katie? There's plenty. Yeah, we did. We, it was a good, good first episode. <laughs> so we've made up for the last couple of months missing. We've jammed it all into one episode. Uh, just a couple of quick things before we wrap up and any last final thoughts from Katie. She might have a word of oh, wisdom for us. I don't know. Um, again, thank you. Uh, it's great to be back with you. We are back every month from here on in, once a month. And I just want to let you know, too, we've got some other little ventures coming and plans. So just if you become a patron at patreon.com 
And in order to support this podcast, you will get access to other benefits as well. If you contribute $5 or more per month at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia, the link is in the show notes, then you will get access to twice a week I do um, commentary podcasts. There's two of those a week exclusively for our patrons. We've got a new show coming called Conservative Conversations, which is interview uh, conversational style podcast once a month and patrons get the full episode the whole one hour maybe a little bit longer sometimes episode uh, other uh, free to air people get a little snippet a little teaser you get the full episode and we've also got another show I'm not going to say any more about this other show but it's um, there's a there's a show that I'm working on and have been in discussion with a couple of people about just for men so yeah, you'll get access to it. So there's some some good exclusives. The other way, of course, is go to lifenet.org.nz and you can just make a donation if you want to to the LifeNet Charitable Trust. And if you're in New Zealand, that means you get your tax back. Don't forget your questions. Send us your questions, or it might not be a question; it might be a topic. And as you heard yeah, today, we, right. we'll you know we'll go anywhere. So send us your topic. Don't be afraid. You can do it without sending your name in. So you can ask. And if you've got a, a struggle in your marriage. Ask us. Not that we're perfect. We've got plenty of struggles of our own. We're still but, working on it interpersonal. <laughs> <laughs> and we and we are. We're not we're not better. We're not good, happy people Smarter. because we've got kids <laughs> and we're monogamous. But what we will do is we'll do our best because we want to see you flourish. We want you to have in the midst of your strivings and struggles, we want you to have a good marriage. We want you to have a good stability in your relationship. We want you to have a good um strength in your Christian life and your discipleship with Christ. And if we can help in a little way no matter whether you're married or unmarried, whoever you are, chuck us your questions. We'll do our best. We'll and if we need to, we'll get a guest on, right, if it's something super curly. But you can do that at lifenet.org.nz on the website. Click on the, the banner on the homepage and it'll take you to that new form to fill out and you can do that anonymously if you want to. Katie, do you want to say anything to wrap up? No, I think you've said it all, babe. Oh, I talked too much and I've said it all. Um, folks, it was so good to be back with you again. Don't forget, live by goodness, truth and beauty, not by lies. And we will see you next time on The Little Flock. See you. The Little Flock is a joint production of the LifeNet Charitable Trust and Left Foot Media. If you enjoyed this show, then please help us to ensure that more of this great content keeps getting made by becoming a patron of the show at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. Thanks for listening. See you next time on The Little Flock.